Father, we, uh, we come before you. We thank you as, as we got to sing and praise your name for that you give us freedom. And that is, that is amazing, Lord. We're not held captive anymore. But you have broken the chains that kept us tied down. And you have loosed us to be able to follow after you to be able to live our lives for you, Father. So I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would open up our, our ears and our minds to hear and understand this morning your word by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you don't have a, a Bible with you this morning, there are copies on the back table. Uh, we are going to be in the book of Romans this morning, and we're going to be jumping through a lot of the various passages that Paul goes through in the book of Romans. And as <clears throat> I was thinking about what to, to teach this week, we were talking about the, the 4th of July last week coming up and what our families were going to be doing. And I was thinking, you know, it'd be great to remind us as we celebrate our freedom as a nation, as we celebrate the overthrow of the British rule of us, that we talk about the freedom that we have in Christ, that we would be reminded of those things. Even as we got the opportunity to take communion this morning in remembrance of what he has done, we thank him for what he has done. And so in looking at some of the things that went on even this past week, so we have July 4th as we celebrate our Declaration of Independence. So I wanted to read a little bit from what that declaration stated. Uh, sometimes we don't often, we know we celebrate it as our kids grow up, but they don't always know why are we celebrating these things. And it's a reminder to us, if you haven't looked at it in a long time, it's a good thing to look up even our own history, to know where we have been, where we have come to now, and who has helped us get there. And so it starts off, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. This is the part where you're most familiar with. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That when any... Whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles, and organizing its powers in governments long established, sorry, and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, 
And accordingly, all experience has shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. So they're saying, don't. this is not a lighthearted decision that we took. This is not something that just we think willy-nilly, hey, we don't want them to rule us anymore. But they say, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient suffering of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries, usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And so they list all of their injustices before the king of Britain as they sent this declaration off to him. And so you can go home today or this week, look up the declaration, you can read the rest of it in full, read all the list of the things that they state, this is why we are doing this. But they understood certain things, that they were created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. So one of the things I wanted to draw a conclusion to is that our independence drives us to dependence on something else. So when we think of our independence, when we think of our freedom, we think, okay, I can make my own decisions, I can make my own things, and I can, I'm, <clears throat> can be the judge, I can be the jury, I can do it. But that's not the case, is it? Just because we have freedom doesn't allow us to go out and do whatever we desire to do without any consequences because we say it's right or it's wrong. There's still systems in place. Our forefathers knew that as they drafted this declaration, as they are going to form a new institute of government and a new way of leading, and as we continue to abide by the same rules that they placed back in 1776, we see that they were driven to dependence on something else, something they deemed far greater. And so when we talk about our freedom in Christ, when we talk about our independence in Christ, as we look at in Romans, what we're looking at is we are free from the chains that bind us, as we sang. As Scripture tells us, we all have sin in our lives. In, in Romans chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to, to Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 11, as he, he quotes a passage from the Old Testament, he says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their paths are ruin and misery. The way of peace they have not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. He starts off 
letting us know. If you even turn back to, to chapter 1, verse 18. <clears throat> as we talk about the, the three different things, as I mentioned earlier, we're talking about the, the penalty of sin in our lives. So we talk about freedom, we were freed from the penalty of sin. We're going to talk about the power of sin as we're freed from the power of sin and eventually the very presence of sin in our life. And so when we look at those three things, the three big words that come to mind with that as we learn about our salvation is Christ, is the justification before God, the sanctification as we live out our life in Christ, and the eventual glorification. And so this morning we're looking at a preview of all of these things. There's not something that we can get in-depth to in one easy thing, but it's a reminder for us as Christians who we were formerly, who we are now in Christ. <clears throat> it's a reminder to us, even if there are things in our lives, as we sang this morning, God my rock, when we're overwhelmed, when things come at us, when we're facing difficulties, when we just need to be reminded of who God is, of what he has done, of what he is continuing to do, it's a good reminder to look back at what he has done. And so in Romans 1.18 it says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. They are without excuse. Romans tells us from the very outset, everybody is aware of who God is. As the writers of the Declaration are saying, we are endowed by our Creator. These are given to us by God himself. Certain unalienable rights, they cannot be divorced, and yet Romans tells us as human beings we suppress this truth. As many of our neighbors, many of our family, I had a family gathering yesterday. I know many of my family there do not know Christ. Um, some do, some do not. Um, and I know that for some of them, if you talk to them, they just they want nothing to do with it. They continue to suppress. You can talk to them to their blue in their face, but there's an awareness there. There's a discernment. They're not ready yet. And that's when we as Christians need to be in prayer, seeking God's face, specifically, God, this person. You get a hold of them. I don't know what it's going to take to get it. Sometimes it's tragedy in our lives that gets us to a place of desperation where we see where we need Christ. Whatever it is. So as we talk about the penalty, we say, oh, the wrath of God, he says right there, the wrath of God, that's the, the penalty of sin, of unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is not something that you want to experience. It will be eternal separation from God. It is the just, the deserving portion that we receive because we actively rebel against a good and gracious God. For those who 
die without Christ, their eternal separation is experiencing the wrath of God. Scripture tells us it to be hell. That's a place that we desire that, that no one to, would go to. There's comfort in knowing those that pass on in the here and now who know God, who know Christ, we get to see again. Even as talking this morning, many of you are aware of uh, Amber's friend. She had posted about praying for Elizabeth and her husband, Phil, who they were just married a couple weeks ago when she had a routine doctor's visit and went in and had it, went to, to U of Penn to get more testing done, aspirated on some of the medicine that they gave her for one of the tests, went into the ICU. They found out that she had abdominal cancer, and Amber had posted she passed away. Comfort there is knowing Amber, without a doubt, knows that she knew the Lord, but it happens in a split second where you go from everything's fine, living your life, just getting married, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, getting news, abdominal cancer in the ICU to a couple weeks dead. So if you would uh, continue to pray for, for Elizabeth's family during this time, that would be appreciated as they continue to suffer the effects of death. But when we look at Genesis, that's what God said when he told Adam in the Garden of Eden. He said, do not eat of this fruit. If you do, the day that you do, you will surely die. He's talk, talking about an immediate spiritual death, immediate separation from God, but ultimately a physical death as well. Yet we know God has created us with eternity in our hearts. So when we talk about freedom in Christ, as we talk about being saved from the penalty, we're talking about being saved from the wrath of God because the wrath of God was satisfied by Christ. If you turn forward to Romans chapter 2. As you read the, the, the book of Romans, goes through a process of outlying outlining all of these things in your life as, as Paul is talking. All of the different things to the Jewish people as he talks about uh, their fears or concerns with, you know, I'm, I'm a Jew, I should be all right. To what about the Gentiles, which is us? How does that all come into play? What does it mean? How does it work? I'm talking about God's Judgment, his righteous judgment on his people. So if you look at verse 12, it says, For all have sinned without the law, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So as he's, he's talking to them, the Jewish people have the law. Not everybody else has the law that God had given. Not everybody's living by the law of God. But he's saying those who have sinned without the law... Gentiles, they're also going to perish without the law. We're also going to die. And all those who have the law will also perish with the law who have sinned under it. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. And so when we talk about the, the penalty of sin, when we talk about the justice of God concerning that, 
We have to look at the law with that. So when we talked about being freed from something, we're freed from the, the penalty of sin, but we're freed from the law as well. But there's certain, certain things that Paul's going to get into that I want to specify this morning concerning the law. We're saved from the law of works. It's not as if we can work our way into salvation. It's not as if that is possible. But Paul says right there, but doers of the law, they're, they're going to be justified, declared right. But as you read on and go further and you look at all of that, you're going to understand, well, that's just not possible. It's not possible at all. Romans 3, 19 and 20, Paul's going to tell us that. So we read, just in the very beginning, read that no one is righteous, and this is what he says about that. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what, is, what does that mean? It means as we look at the law given to Moses from God, as we look at all the things, the purpose of the law was not for them to see, and the purpose for us isn't to say, one Check, haven't done that, have no other gods before me. I'm good. I'm, I, I worship God, nobody else. Go down. Haven't used his name in vain. Check, don't worry. When I hit my hand with a hammer, never said his name, never uttered it. Check. If you can check, I can't check that. I, I confess that sin before God and many times. <clears throat> he doesn't like those things. But as I... The law wasn't given so that we can just say, yes, 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 yes. It's much like the, the story of the man that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And he asked about following the law and the commandments. And the man pretty matter-of-factly says, yes, I've done that. I would not be that, I don't even know what the right word to say for that would be, but wouldn't have the, the gall to say that before Jesus and say, yep, I've done it all. I'm good. The purpose of the law was never to say to God himself, look, I've met all your requirements. You must justify me before your sight. But the purpose of the law was to show us our need of a Savior because it showed us that we all fall short. There's no way we can ever measure up. There's no way we can ever be as holy as God is holy because we have this thing called sin in our lives that keeps us from being able to do those things. And, and Paul tells us that later on in chapter 7. So if you turn over to chapter 7, that famous part in, in, in verse 15 where it says, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. We know what the law is. We know the law is good. It's right, and yet I'm still not following it. I'm still not obeying it. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, in the body, 
in our flesh, he's saying, there's nothing good that dwells in me. And he makes that distinction to say in the flesh because he's going to go on to tell us about the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is good. He says, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. And that's the crux there. You know what the law is. You know what is good. You know what we should do. And yet we don't do it. And he tells us there, I don't have the ability to carry it out. I don't have the ability. Prior to Christ, we have no ability, as he said in, in 3, there is no one righteous, no one who seeks after God. There is no ability within us, in our flesh, to say, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. There's no even thought concerning that. But because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of his life, death, and resurrection, and because he has given us his spirit, when we are indwelt by the spirit of God, when we repent, Scripture says if we confess with our mouth that we are sinners, that we repent of our sin, we ask for forgiveness, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He makes us clean. And so when we talk about the penalty of sin, when we talk about justification, that word that goes along with the penalty of sin, you're declared right before God because of Christ's righteousness being applied to your life and not your own righteousness. And so we're freed from the penalty of sin. If you want to look further into the law and sin, Paul raises the argument earlier in verse 7. We're not going to get to it today about one of the, the questions I was going to ask, but I'll just give you the answer. One of the things that they would say, if, if we have sin and there's the law, is the, the law, are those two things synonymous? Are they the same thing when we talk about law and sin? Because the law was given, so then we knew what our sin was. But Paul is going to emphatically state, no, not the case, two different things. Because the law is good, it's right, it's just, it was given by God, but sin is not good. It does what is evil, it does what is wrong, not the same thing. It's just that the law made us aware of our sin, made us aware of our need for Christ. So we've been declared righteous, so we've been freed from the penalty of sin, as I said we moved, our independence moves us towards dependence of something else. So our independence of the sin that weighed us down, that kept us tied together, that kept us bound, chained, not being having the ability to do what is right before God, those have been broken. And that takes us to the power. So there's now no longer power. The chains are gone. There's no power there. They're, they're not able to wrap around us again and control us unless we give it that power. So that's the second thing. We've been saved. We've been freed from the power of sin in our lives. There's now no longer that thing that controls us that says, as he said, we don't have the ability to do it. There's now this spirit that God has given us that says, this is the way in which you should walk, walk in it. So that when we're faced with something we were faced in our former selves, 
we can go, no, God says, go this way. Or God says, go this way. You know, before you would just, nah, I don't know. I, it doesn't really seem like I should do those things. But everybody's egging you on, and you're like, all right, let's just do it. <clears throat> now, in Christ, there's no power there. There's nothing. And then that thing says, there's that question of choice, that freedom that we have when we talk about freedom. There's a choice now and say, do I want to live in the power of the flesh or do I want to live in the power of the spirit? God calls us to live in the power of the spirit. In chapter 8, if you want to turn to chapter 8 of Romans there. Chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says this, he says, There is there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's dealing with the penalty. There's now no condemnation, no penalty against you for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So when we talked about the difference being saved from something, all right, we go from the law of sin and death, which we're in chains to, to now you have the law of the Spirit, which provides life. So your choice is to live in the flesh or to live in the Spirit. Said so God has done what the law, verse 3, weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He says right there, you're no longer your former self. Elsewhere in, in Corinthians, he'll tell you, you're a new creation, created in Christ Jesus. And he'll tell us, we were created for good works. We can now do things for Christ, but it all begins with us now having this choice to say, how am I going to live my life? I've been freed from my chains. Each and every day as you wake up, it says his mercies are new every day because we, we still struggle with this power between our old self and the new self. And we have a choice every day until ultimately Christ comes again and we're saved from the very presence of sin. But we have this choice of living out in the flesh or living out in the spirit but God has given us our, his comforter to help us in that ability. But we're talking about being independent now, away from sin, but dependent on something else. So now we're dependent on God. Now we're dependent on his spirit. Now we're dependent on the law, not of sin and death, but now on the law of the spirit. He's going to go on to talk about being slaves to righteousness. He said, formerly you were slaves to sin. There's always this one or the other. What are you going to do? You have the ability to choose now. That is the freedom that he has given you. He has rescued from these things. If you turn back quick to chapter 7, verse 4. Romans chapter 7, verse 4, our response to this. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, 
so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we were we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Not in the old way, but in the new way. When we talk about living our life for Christ, of living out our life, as we talk about freedom in Christ, don't get so caught up in the things of thinking that because we have freedom, we can just go off and do whatever we want. That, that was part of Paul's letter to the Romans as well. Some of them thought because they've been freed, because the penalty of sin has been taken away, because the power of sin has been taken away, but at the same time, grace is given to us because of our sin. Some of them, using lo faulty logic, would say, if I get grace because of my sin, would I get more grace by sinning more? That's just fleshly. That's what it comes down to of living in the flesh, of thinking, hey, this is a good thing, but what if I can get away with this? If I did more sin, would grace abound more to me and thereby show more of God, and that would be, that would be a good thing? Sounds, sounds great. Sounds like I can, you know, uh, what's the, you know, have your cake and eat it too, whatever, whatever that phrase is. You want it, you're trying to take both of the best worlds, mash it together, and think, hey, I'm good. But don't let the confusion stay there and think that God just says, yeah, that's okay. Not the case. Even though we've been freed from the law of sin and death and freed from all the requirements of the law, Paul doesn't just say, hey, go and live your life however you want. He says this, because no one can boast by our own actions. It's not because of us. It's not because of what we do. But one of the questions was, do we then overthrow the law because we have faith? Because now we live by faith. We don't live by law. We're not bound by those things. Is the law void? Is it no longer applicable? Do we just throw it out? But he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So just because we have freedom doesn't mean you throw out everything. The law was good. The law was just. The law was right. There was nothing wrong with it except that we couldn't do it. And it's not as if God says, now you have to do all these things to warrant heaven. No, Christ already did all those things. But now for us, there's a love because we know the law is holy, just as God is holy. And so there's the awareness within us, hey, we want to be more like Christ, we want to be more like Him, and so we live our lives out, and we uphold the law. It is good. It is right. We want to live our lives out that way. And so don't get confused in, in your life thinking you can just go and do whatever you want without any consequences. Because we still are living in the here and now, and there's still consequences to our sin. Scripture tells us that.
one of the things I want to, as we close, I want to tie this in. One of the things we, as we're talking about our independence in our nation, as we talk about our freedom in, in Christ, there's freedom in Christ individually, corporately, um, nationally, as you look at the life of Israel. Not everybody in Israel was saved, but Israel enjoyed as a nation the benefits of God corporately or the ramifications of their sin corporately. Even those that were living for God, living, they also had to live under the ramifications of sin for others. But also when they were faithful and honest and just before God, acted as God commanded them, he gave them blessings. And so even though all of the nation wasn't saved, all the nation enjoyed their benefits. So we talk about our independence. One of the things we pray for every Wednesday is our nation because we recognize that our nation is in deep need of prayer. As we see where we have been in our past and where we come now, as we think about the, some of the other things, as we talk about aborted babies, that we have, you know, more babies have been aborted than lives that were lost in the Holocaust. That's tragic. We kill more of our own. And our nation approves of it. Not everybody approves of it, but as a nation, we're under those things. One of the things that God would tell Jeremiah, in the, as he was one of his prophets, talking about the, the potter and the clay, and Paul uses this analogy as well in Romans. So if you were to go back and look through Romans and read through it, he would talk about that, of where the clay, God's the potter. What right does a form that the creator is shaping and forming say to its creator, I don't want that. Or can you change this? It's not within the clay's ability or function to do that. Same as it's not within our ability or function to tell God, hey, you can't do that. Or what's going on? We don't have that ability. In Jeremiah it says this though, and so I want to leave us with this as we talk about our nation. It says, chapter 18, of Jeremiah, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do it. Now, therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. But they will say, that is in vain. We will follow our own plans. 
and will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. This is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah in the Old Testament about the Israelites themselves, yet the word that came to Jeremiah is a word for us today as well when God says, any nation or kingdom that I choose, he has the prerogative to bring blessing or to bring demise. But he says, if a nation will repent of their sins, if its demise repent, I will relent of what I was going to do and I will bless. And the same thing, if I'm going to bless, but they do not relent of their evil ways or increase their evil ways, well, then I'll relent of my blessing and I will bring demise. As a nation, that's important for us because we need to recognize that he is the one in, who is in control and he desires that those who are faithful to him would seek his face on behalf of the nation to stand in the gap. I'm always reminded of the story of Jonah. God said, Jonah, go to the nation. This is what I have for them. I'm going to, I want you to tell them I'm going to destroy you. Exactly what is in Jeremiah was what happened with Jonah and the people of Nineveh. Tell them I'm going to destroy them unless they repent. Jonah was unhappy they repented, but God did exactly what he said he would do. I will relent if they seek my face. But we see the reverse of that. We as a nation have enjoyed much under the blessing of God, but that's not always going to be the case, and that's not always going to be the way if we don't relent of our evil ways. And so this morning as we talk about freedom, as we talk about our independence, it's not the fact that for our nation we're not under the power of Great Britain anymore. We're under our own authority, but we're not just under our own authority. We're under the authority of God in our own personal lives. It's not that we're not under the authority of sin anymore and the penalty. It's the fact that we're now under the authority of God and his spirit and, his, and the work of his son. And so this morning I wanted it to be a reminder that our freedom in Christ does not mean freedom to do whatever we want, but our freedom in Christ drives us to live our lives for him and to live in the spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good and gracious God. And even as we just read, as you spoke to the prophet Jeremiah, Father, we recognize and understand that our nation has done things, has, has placed laws in effect that are contrary to your word. We have a, as it was said at the very end, it's the people said it's in vain. We're just going to follow whatever we desire to do, and, and we see that at work even in our own nation as truth has become relative, that it's your truth or your truth, and it's not the truth of God, which never ceases to exist, which doesn't change, which is always just, that's not motivated by sinful passions or desires but it's motivated by your love and your compassion, as your word tells us God is love. And we thank you. And we recognize that we need to be brought back to that. Even 
even as individuals, Father, we, we come before you. And if there is any of us here that needs to repent of the things in our lives, Father, help us to seek your face and repent of those things. And we thank you that you, you give us forgiveness because it's not our, our work that warrants our righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness applied. And he perfectly lived out the law like none of us could. That you yourself took upon the just requirements of the law, your wrath for us was poured out on Christ so that you can be both just and the justifier. And we thank you. Father, we pray that you would burden our hearts to cry out for you, to stand in the gap for those who do not know yet the freedom that we talked about this morning. Whether it's our family members, whether it's our friends, whether it's our neighbors, or whether it's the person we've never met before and you have this conversation and you just know they don't know you. Embolden our speech. Father, give us a discerning spirit to speak your words with gentleness and respect into hearts that you are already preparing by your spirit. We pray these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.